This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 18th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. To win the battle of ideas, freedom's defenders will have to overcome the persistent impulse to vest experts with power. But the history of giving experts vast powers over us isn't a happy one. Journalist and Fox News host John Stossel discussed the broad record of markets versus government planning at the Cato Institute's Benefactors Summit in February. I don't think we've won the battle for hearts and minds because when there's a problem, instinct is always we got to have some expert address it. After 9-11, we got the Department of Homeland Security and all that excess. The Senate voted 100 to 0 to create the TSA. It's intuitive maybe because we grew up in families where parents made decisions for us. Or from evolution, because we, our ancestors lived in tribes where if you didn't do what the elders said and harvest the fruit at the right time, you died. And they didn't live long enough to give birth to the people who gave birth to you. So we're programmed to trust leaders. And as I say, the invisible hand is hard to grasp. I like Hayek's spontaneous order better. But even that's hard to get your brain around. But... And even that, you don't trust. If you'd never seen a skating rink, and I said to you, I'm a businessman, you're the regulators. Should this be allowed? I want to run this business where I charge people money to come into my arena, and they're going to strap sharp blades to their feet and zip around on the ice, young and old, skilled and unskilled. And the only rule is go counterclockwise. You would say, no, we need skating police. We need some laws. Our instinct is always to say, we need some laws. And that's what we get. It took me too long to to see the folly of that. I was a consumer reporter calling for more regulation. I, I watched it fail. And finally saw that competition is good enough. You don't need the consumer regulation. There'll be some cheating, some market bubbles, some Bernie Madoffs, but they're a tiny part of the economy. When I say this to people, they say, well, capitalism brings us some stuff in your Blackberry. But when it comes to more complicated things, serious stuff, you need central planning. Healthcare or education, it's a job for government. The parents don't know what the curricula should be. They don't know who the good teachers are. That's why we need government to plan this. It's too complex. There was an article in the New Yorker that made the joke about the guys in there, they're talking about free markets and medicine. So how's that supposed to work, says this heart surgeon? You're in the taxi having a heart attack, and uh, right then you're supposed to shop around for hospitals? Who thinks this stuff up? As the Cato blog put it, well, Adam Smith thought it up. It does work. But it's hard to grasp that the person in the taxi would already know which hospital is good for treating heart attacks or which one is cheaper if you had a market in medicine. Or another example is cars. Cars are complicated. Do you understand why one runs better than another or is safer than another? I don't. But think about the the worst car you can buy in America, maybe the Monte Carlo that Jim talked about and compare it to the best that could be produced by the planned economy. And that was this car here. The Trabant, 
some of you were not familiar with it. This was the East German car. It was the pride of the Eastern Bloc. There was a five-year waiting list to get a Trabant. It was a terrible car. You had to put the oil and gas in separately and shake the car to mix them together. (laughs) And it was hard to drive and it polluted. But it was their absolute best. And we joke about rocket scientists. Uh, But this was designed by the East German rocket scientists, actual rocket scientists. And it couldn't compete with the Monte Carlo. It disappeared when the Berlin Wall went down and it had competition. Because that's all you need free market competition to make things better. It's just not intuitive to people. Even people who get that say we need government for safety. Maybe global warming really is a problem. Or how about the problem of the factory owner? He just wants to cut costs. He doesn't care if his workers work under oppressive conditions, if they're hurt on the job. That's why we need OSHA, said the government, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. And this makes sense to people. It's intuitive. It's, you got to have at least a rule book. And so they got a rule book. It was this thick. Uh, now it's 10 feet thick because there a 1,000 legal cases, and even the lawyers who specialize don't understand it. But the people who created OSHA were fond of showing this graph. Look how many lives we've saved. Injuries went down at around the same rate. And this is true, and it's very impressive. And it seems like a good argument for some central planning. Except somebody went and checked out the data from before OSHA as well. (laughs) Government's like somebody who jumps in front of a parade and claims it led the parade. Things were getting better on their own. They do that in a free society when you leave people alone. As people get richer, they care more about safety. When there's an accident, you make adjustments. Even the most venal factory owner cares, if only because he has to spend a lot of money to retrain new workers to replace the ones he kills. So self-interest works even for safety. We didn't need OSHA, but today you, you couldn't convince the bureaucrats of that. And so government grows and creates all its unintended consequences. As we talk about the income gap now, and the president wants to raise the poor, that brings up the war on poverty. You get a similar chart there. When the war started, poverty dropped. First six years, a lot of people lifted themselves out of poverty. But look what was happening before the war started. People were already on their own in America, lifting themselves out of poverty. The war on poverty sped progress briefly, and then progress stopped. It goes up and down. We taught people to be dependent. In today's news, the CBO reports that it believes Obamacare is going to cause 2 million people not to work, because then they'll be eligible for subsidies. Of course. Cato would have told you that. These laws have unintended consequences, but we keep doing more of it, and government grows. Here's a graph of the growth of government since the beginning of the republic. Uh, You notice for Roger Pallon's first 150 years when we respected the Constitution was also a time when government was just a couple percent of GDP. The first little blip is World War I. The second is World War II. But spending dropped after the war. 
it's only, it, you know, maybe the Constitution changed in the 30s. It was really Lyndon Johnson and the Great Society in the 60s, perpetuated by George Bush and Obama, that sends the line on the unsustainable course we have now. Despite all the increase in spending, the politicians' willingness to claim they're starving is remarkable. Nancy Pelosi this year said, we can't cut more. The, the cupboard is bare. They're spending $3 trillion, they say the cupboard is bare. They spend it on things like my beach house. Uh, I, I thank you for helping fund it. That's... That said, it was on Long Island, on the sand. That's younger me in the white bathing suit. I asked my father for help on the mortgage, and he said, no, are you crazy? It's on the edge of an ocean, on sand. And I said, well, I have lots of sand. There's a big dune. Probably nothing's going to happen to it. And if it does, we can't lose because there's this program called federal flood insurance. It's dirt cheap, just a hundred, couple hundred bucks a year. And I'm insured. And so I built the house. And as I said, I had lots of sand. I, I knew that this would never happen. <laughs> Oops, this happened within about seven years. The first floor went out, and uh, the government paid to rebuild it. And it went out again, and they paid again. And then the whole house went. And I want to thank you. I never invited you there, but you helped pay for that house. <laughs> I, I won't do this again. Um, I won't rip you off again. I've learned my lesson. But it just shows how they will fund anything. The Republicans recently voted to cut back on the federal flood insurance program and then change their minds when their constituents complained. They're going to continue to give us, those of us who build in risky places, a specially good deal on the backs of taxpayers. Now, uh, John Allison talked about the good news, the deficit spending is down, spending is down, the deficit's down, and that's true, uh, but it's only down because we had the blowout of the stimulus and the bailouts from Bush and Obama. It's not, not that good news to me. I've come to understand, thanks to Cato, that the market will take care of just about everything better than government will. And it's not perfect. There will be the Bernie Madoffs. Um, and we need some personal security as a role for government, as Roger talked about. But why is life good in America? I have a charity where I buy my... TV programs from ABC, and Fox gives them to me, and we give them to high school teachers, and they use them to teach economics and social studies in high school, and at least introduce the idea of free markets. And the most popular one is one where I start by asking a group like this, it's high school kids in New Jersey, how come you're doing okay? Seven billion people on earth. Fewer than one billion live anywhere near our level of comfort. Two billion have horrible lives, live on a buck or two a day. How come we did well and the room is silent? They have no clue. And then a kid will stand up and say, you know, we have democracy. Or some say, we invented democracy. They don't know about the Greeks. 
Another stood up and said, and we have natural resources. We were a relatively new country, and, and that made us rich. And I say, uh, those are good points, except India has natural resources, and India is a democracy, but India is poor. And they say, well, India is overpopulated. That's why it's poor. But that's nonsense, of course, because the population density of India is the same as that of New Jersey, where I was talking to these kids. And compare India to Hong Kong, which has no natural resources and 20 times as many people per square foot as India and New Jersey. And Hong Kong got rich. They never even had democracy. They had the British rulers and now the communist Chinese. And yet they are the the role model for prosperity. They went from third world to first world in just 50 years. We know what works. It's a crime that the rest of the world doesn't embrace it. What is it? It's economic freedom is part of it and rule of law. I mean, basic rule of law is key. The worst places to live are the African country where you're afraid to build a factory because your neighbor may steal what you make or the dictator may take your whole factory. Um, So we need that, and then we need economic freedom. And that's what they had in Hong Kong. The British rulers made sure people didn't steal from each other or kill each other. And then they sat around and drank tea. They left free people alone, and free people left alone made themselves rich. One reason is they have fewer rules. I went around the the world to shoot the story. I tried to open a business in New York. Couldn't do it within two months. In India, I didn't even try because it would have taken years. At the time, you had to get 20 permits to buy a computer. But in Hong Kong, I could open a business in one day. Took an hour, I paid a $25 fee. It was a stupid business, but this right to open, to try something, is what allowed them to prosper. And yet, we don't embrace this. Capitalism works, and yet it's vilified in every newsroom I've been in, except the one I'm in now, and at most universities that I've visited. People hate business. Somebody came up to me on the street in New York and said, are you John Stossel? Yes. I hope you die soon. (laughs) And at first I thought this was because he considered me a conservative and, and... People had been calling me that. Uh, But I'm a lousy conservative as a libertarian. Those of you who are conservative are right to be furious at the major networks that I was the closest thing they had to conservative. And I think drugs should be legal and sex work should be legal. And I wasn't crazy about going into Iraq. And um, I think gambling should be legal. And I'm a libertarian. And yet they call me a conservative. And this guy is furious. But I think it's... To be a conservative in New York is like being a child molester. (laughs) But since I'm not a conservative, I thought, well, why should they be so mad at me? And I came to think it's because I'm a consumer reporter who's now defending laissez-faire. Let business do what it wants, except collude with government. Competition will solve these problems. And this offends them. Somehow this is a rape of the poor because as people get rich in business, other people must suffer. They think this way because they don't have an economic education, and they think of life as a zero-sum game. And there's logic behind that. Politics is a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Lawsuits are a zero-sum game often. But 
what they don't realize is that business is never a zero-sum game because business is voluntary. There are only two ways to do things, right? Voluntary and forced. And government is force. As I say, we need some force. But no business can force anybody to buy their stuff. And both parties win in every transaction. You see it in the simplest. You bought a cup of coffee this morning, maybe. You gave her the buck. She gave you the coffee. And there was this weird weird double thank you moment. You both said thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why do you both say thank you? Because you wanted the coffee more than you wanted the buck. She wanted the buck more than she wanted the coffee. Because it's voluntary, it doesn't happen unless you both win. So it's not like Bill Gates took a big chunk of pie and we have less. Bill Gates, to get rich, had to bake a bunch of new pies and make us all richer. But people don't get that. Instinct says there ought to be central planning. And so we have tons and tons of that. So... uh, Oh, this is the Andrea Rich charity. This slide is out of order, but whatever. Uh, This is the classroom for the teachers. I wrote this book to try to argue against that it's obviously a play on Yes, We Can from President Obama's first campaign. And we can, frankly, but we, in their eyes, came to mean the state. And the subtitle is, to me, what's operative in that government fails all the time, but individuals, in spite of government, keep producing amazing things. The economic freedom survives, the, usually, the attacks from the state. Now, when I say economic freedom, economists focus on the creating prosperity parts, but the freedom part is just as important. Ed Crane, when, he, when I first was introduced to the Cato, talked a lot about the dignity of the individual. And I think that's a profound argument because that's a moral argument. And my objection to big government is more than a, just the fact that it makes us poor. It's a moral argument because when government reduces our control over our own lives, it makes us smaller. It cuts the tendrils of civil society. Crowds out good things. And yet, as the subtitle says, despite all those obstacles, we still get clubs and families working toward the common goals, charities, and greedy, profit-seeking businesses that produce what? Wonderful things that we take for granted. Flush toilets, air conditioning, statins, iPhones, computers. I mean, poor people in America today live lives that are better than the lives lived by kings and queens a century ago. We don't even think about it. We take everything for granted that comes from capitalism. You don't ever fall on your knees in a supermarket and thank capitalism, do you? You really should. It's a miracle. Think about it. It's open 24-7. The aisles are wide. It's well lit. The food is unbelievably cheap. They rarely poison you. After Obamacare was proposed, the Detroit Medical Center proudly announced it was going to be the first big medical center that was going to use barcodes to keep track of patient records. And everybody clapped. Oh, that's maybe it was a good thing. 
But supermarkets did that 40 years ago for candy and Coke. Because government controls medicine has since World War II. Innovation slows. One final example. We take it for granted that you can go to a foreign country and stick a piece of plastic in the wall and cash comes out. And you can give that piece of plastic to a total stranger who doesn't even speak English. He'll rent you a car for a week. And when you get home, the Naples, a Visa, or MasterCard will have the accounting correct to the penny. If they don't, you'll scream. Government can't even count votes accurately. <laughs> and yet, majority of American public was willing to turn to government to run health care as well as education. This is nuts. Government fails, individuals succeed, and I thank you for supporting Cato, which fights for that liberty that makes all good things possible. John Stossel is an Emmy Award-winning journalist and host of the Fox News Stossel program. You can learn more about the power of decentralized, dynamic markets at our website, cato.org.